Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the Roka Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name is Rich Spate and I'm joined to look at Sunderland's 1-0 home victory against Portsmouth uh, in the league by Nick Barnes, the Sunderland commentator for BBC Radio Newcastle. How are you this afternoon, Nick? Uh, very good. All good. All the, always the better when you've had a win on the Saturday, which sort of uh, the whole complexion of the weekend changes. Totally. Puts everyone in a good mood. Yeah. I think everyone... in enjoyed themselves certainly after the match but the match itself was a bit of a, a slugfest really it wasn't the most attractive um, spectacle on the eye Sunderland obviously brought into the side uh, Danny Bart uh, for, a, for a debut um, in central defence and played three at the back uh, with Tom Flanagan retaining his place um, but other than that there wasn't too much change Evans came back in as well um, after injury and Pritchard looks like it's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, what did you make of the lineup? Was it pr- pretty much as you'd um, expected, Nick? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we had the discussion on Friday before the game, Gary Bennett, myself, Simon Pride in the Total Sport studio about what would be the likely lineup. And the only sort of uh, real debate was was it going to be a, a back four or three? I think we had a, there was a feeling that Tom Flanagan might have been taken out. And I think if Bailey Wright had been fit, that may have been the case. Although Lee Johnson did say afterwards, he, he, he had a couple of sleepless nights as to whether he was going to go with a four or three. Mm. And I suspect part of that was because he just didn't know whether Bailey Wright was going to be fit. I think if he, was, if he was fit, it would have been quite a dilemma whether to go with a four with Wright, Bart, Doyle and, and Sirkin. Because I think there's been a feeling that Tom Flanagan probably needs a rest. And there was a couple of moments in the game against Portsmouth where, you know, like against Accrington, he's chasing back and allowed, you know, Portsmouth yesterday to to get on the ball. And it could have been, you know, another of those sort of Accrington scenarios. But um, ultimately, uh, with Wright being unavailable, I guess it picked itself. I mean, it was always going to be Bart's debut. And then without, without Wright, it looked like it was going to be a three so not a real surprise in the end. I think it's something he's, he's toyed with during the season anyway. Um, and, I, and, and in fairness, I mean, Bart had a, you know, a very, very good debut. And Doyle actually thought, to his credit, had a good game as yeah. well. 
So, you know, ultimately they did the job, they kept a clean sheet. So, yeah, it, it worked. I mean, I still think there's a possible issue with Flanagan, but, you know, not because he's a bad player. I just think it's come to that point in the season where he just probably needs a breather. Certainly, he has played a lot of minutes. He's been almost never present, hasn't he, this season? Yeah. So, And his form's been a little bit up and down because at the beginning of the season, he looked like a completely new player. And maybe you're, maybe you're right, maybe he does just need a, a bit of a rest. But one thing that can't help with the, the kind of fatigue is the pitch. And I think that played a, oh. a, a significant part, especially in the first kind of 25, 30 minutes, where it seemed to me, looking from afar, that, that um, Portsmouth seemed to cope with the the sticky pitch a little bit better than we did, um, the, the you know where the ball ran away from us and we got caught underneath our feet. They were able to pass it pretty crisply. Um, do you know what's going on with that? With your well, inside knowledge, <laughs> I mean, I asked Lee Johnson about it afterwards. Um, again, I mean, I, the irony was I said it probably looked like it could have done with a bit of water um, because it, it, as you say, it was sticky. It, it, it was it was rutted, if you like. It wasn't great. I mean, Danny Cowley mentioned it afterwards as well and said that he felt Portsmouth, as you say, probably coped with it early on better than Sunderland did. And Sunderland clearly couldn't come to terms with it early on. Um, I, I think the, the, they've got an issue with it. I, I don't think... I mean, I know Lee Johnson won't point the finger at anybody, particularly I don't think he wants to throw anybody under the bus mm. for the condition of the pitch. And But he, but he at the same time concedes it's a, it's a problem and it's not really going to get any better. I think he did say yesterday, hopefully in the next few weeks, with the sort of warmer temperatures, a bit more sunlight, a bit more air, it, it might recover. The grass might start to return and grow but it, it's it's you know it's in a way it sounds a bit like clutching at straws it's it's it to me it's it's going to be uh, I think another month at least of the, these sort of conditions and it's and it's not great and there's no question you know you talk to anybody who's close up to the pitch at the game um those that played on it I spoke to Elliot Embleton afterwards it's it, it's not great it's not great for the players um and it's certainly not conducive for the style of football that Lee Johnson and Sunderland want to play. I mean, I'll give them their due against Portsmouth. They weathered it. They got, they, they, you know, they, they got through that first half hour without conceding a goal by hook or by crook. Um, and I think they were probably marginally the better side in the second half of the unexpected sort of flurry from Portsmouth close to the end where they're trying to get back in the game with an equaliser. But I think, you know, that that is all credit to Sunderland that they sort of stuck in um, and it was it was frustrating and it wasn't great to watch and and, and I like your use of the word slugfest i mean it it did feel a bit like that it it was a slog um but i think you know commendably they came through it they kept a clean sheet and ultimately it's, it's the most important thing it's three points and looking at that league table now it's it, it's quite interesting how Sunderland have gone back second mm. and even with the games in hand that Wigan have got I, i've got no problem with Wigan in a sense being top of the table because if Rotherham are looking a little bit more vulnerable now, then then maybe it it, it could become a two horse race between Sunderland and Rotherham, and not Sunderland and Wigan. So because um, I think hitherto we've all felt that Rotherham would be the team that would run away run away with it at the top, and I'm not so sure that's going to be the case now. No, and certainly I mean we are improving our squad as well. Obviously we've got players out to come back, um, Giddy or Nine. And obviously Pritchard and Wright as well, um, big players to come back in. And, and Niall Huggins, I think all of those were mentioned by by Lee Johnson in his post-match um, comments. And all of that's going to add to the to the our ability to get to get results. But yesterday, 
Um, in the first half, the one of the key moments I think was um, Lyndon Gooch clearing almost off the line um, because if that one in the first half had gone gone in, it would have been a very different game when they were on top and. Gooch had a, a very typical Lyndon Gooch game, I thought. He worked really hard. He carried the ball really well. Um, and I thought he was one of the, the, the better players on the pitch. He, he, he's, he's, I use the word, I mean, maybe I should, it's the wrong word, but Marmite, he does seem to mm. frustrate a lot of fans at the same time acknowledging that he's got undoubted talent. But I think that the key with Lyndon Gooch has always been the end product for all that talent and we know he can take players on and he's done a you know a good job at, at playing as a right wing back he does push forward he does cause problems for for teams but then it's that final pass that mm-hmm. final decision in the penalty area which which seems to let Gooch down I mean you mentioned that that moment clear clearing off the line the, I mean the other I suppose key moment in the first half was when Diaku got into the Portsmouth penalty area and took the wrong decision rather than squaring it for Stewart he decided to try and the more ambitious curling it round the keeper into the corner from an acute angle when Stewart is there six yards out ready to just tap it in and that would have been a much earlier goal and it might have settled things a bit earlier and they may have got a second before half-time. Look, we're talking all about this in the in the cold light of day when we know they've won the game 1-0 but I think you, you're right about Gooch. He's a player that he does frustrate but, uh, I mean, Lee Johnson speaks very highly about him, clearly likes him, clearly likes him in the team. For what he can bring, that dynamic he can bring, I, I guess, in taking the ball from one penalty area to the other. Uh, and yeah. as I say, he, he did do a you know a pretty solid job at, at, at right fullback as well when called upon. Yeah, I mean, defensively, I think is where he's 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 really improved um, in particular this season, and it and he helps with the press. You know, he's got that energy, and it was Sunderland's press that kind of. Turned the game in our direction, mm-hmm. wasn't it? After like 25, yeah. 30 minutes, well, where it was that pressure suddenly when you start pushing, yeah. you know, putting uh, Hayden Carter under pressure every time he was on the ball, and, and, and all credit to Dayaku for that because I get, I, I guess, uh, get Carter. I guess when Carter came off the pitch, he was probably relieved to get off and not see Dayaku because Dayaku was like a terrier every time Carter got the ball outside the penalty area. Diaku closed him down and, and forced him into mistakes and forced him into a mistake that led to the goal. So, um, I, I mean, Benno was making the point during the game that they needed, to, as soon as he saw them press, as soon as he saw them putting pressure on Portsmouth defence, then they were making inroads. Uh, in mm-hmm. that first 25 minutes, half an hour, they weren't. They, they were sitting off them and not putting the pressure on Portsmouth and allowing them to grow in confidence. And, you know, thankfully, they, the, the, the Achilles heel that Portsmouth have got at the moment is their failure to score, which... Danny Cowley spoke about afterwards again. You know, they tried to change it with Curtis coming in in place of Hurst. And bizarrely, I thought when Hurst came on, he looked the more likely actually to to score uh, rather than Curtis, however busy Curtis was. And so I was a bit surprised that Hurst didn't start the game, but it may have been just the issue of the fact that Portsmouth are playing a couple of games a week at the moment. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, after the the goal, um, which was a, a lovely finish, um, from from Elliot Embleton on his on his wrong wrong foot, it was half time, and then we came out in the second half and looked really rather comfortable. I think the stats for the game show they had two shots on target, and I can't remember either of them being particularly dangerous opportunities. Do you put that down to the performance of of 
Danny Bart and um, and Callum Doyle in particular in in having a lot of control at the back and and winning. I think I saw a stat where Bart had won eleven out of his twelve aerial challenges, and and I think the one he didn't win was a they were offside anyway. So um, do you put it down to just that kind of experience and and quality at the back being just a bit too much for a Portsmouth side, as you say, that can't can't seem to to find the back of the net too often at the minute. I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I. I, I I was talking about Flanagan earlier and give Flanagan his due mm. when he's back in the three and doing a defensive job. He does a good job. I mean, as yeah. I, I don't think that, that that for me is not the issue with Flanagan at the minute. Um, but Bart is a no-nonsense. I mean, talking about it after the game, gets his head on the ball, clears it, gets his foot on the ball and clears it. I mean, you know, when we say clears it, he he yeah. clears it properly up into the other half. You know, there's no nonsense. And Doyle just stuck in there and, and you know, he didn't, he, he again was like that terrier-like sort of, and I, and I give Circuit credit there, Circuit credit there as well, because Circuit doubled up with Doyle, if you like, and together they became a sort of unit, if you like, at the back. So I think you're right. I think there's, there's that element that Bart being in there, Flanagan, Doyle, Circuit, they all, and, and Gooch to a degree, to, to, uh, to a degree became a, a you know a difficult unit to get behind. I mean, you're right, Hoffman didn't have a... I don't think he had a save to make, did he? And nobody... Re- Portsmouth, in the second half, didn't really get in the Sunderland penalty area uh, mm. uh, until, you know, late on. Bit of a worry when they get a set piece late in the game. You think, well, you know, start to sweat a bit, but thankfully yep. that didn't come to anything. But that, And then the other side of the coin is, as you say, Portsmouth their weakness in the last few weeks has been their inability to to score goals. And so a combination of the two. But I mean, Danny Cowley said afterwards he felt on balance, on play, a draw would have probably been a fair result. And there's there's a part of me wouldn't disagree with that because I don't, I don't think Portsmouth played poorly yesterday necessarily. And I think, you know, you've got to look at their form going into the game as well. One defeat in 12. So, you know, they're clearly a team that's not easy to beat. So, um you know, Sunderland edged it because Hayden Carter, in his sort of naivety and his inexperience, got caught napping at the edge of their penalty area. Well, that's a risk Portsmouth and Danny Cowley are going to have to take at the minute. As Danny Cowley said afterwards, you know, he's a young player learning his game, but at least Sunderland were able to exploit that. Um, and I think that, you know, that for me is another bonus that they come up against a team who are in form. OK, they might not be scoring lots of goals, but they are a side that are very difficult to beat. And they kept a clean sheet and beat them. And I think, I mean, I go back to something I said a few weeks ago, that I don't, I can't see Sunderland losing many games between no. the turn of the year and the end of the season because of the way that they're set up now, with Stewart scoring goals. They're looking stronger defensively. There will be an aberration, I said. And of course, that aberration, we can argue, was Lincoln. And, and, and that for all sorts of reasons. So... But I mean, in, in going forward, I mean, I, you, you, each fixture you look at, you think, no, I, I'm not necessarily worried about them losing the game. It, it's those sort of um, odd occasions you find maybe that the opposition do get a goal and dig in and just make life difficult for Sunderland. But on the whole, I think it, it, we've still got to be fairly optimistic moving forward. And I think yet yeah, the, the performance against Portsmouth was indicative of you know the, the, the sort of strength, solidity. And they're not necessarily; they don't necessarily have to be flamboyant. They can still win games by digging results out, if you like. Uh, one player, I think, who exemplifies Sunderland at the minute and exemplified that performance actually in terms of, you know, he, he didn't get on the score sheet, he did get an assist, but his work rate 
um, I thought was absolutely phenomenal in this game was was Ross Stewart. Um, mm. There was a, I saw a comment on Twitter earlier suggesting I don't think we've we've ever seen a player work, especially a forward, work as hard and run as many meters in a game as Ross Stewart. He's he's quite something as an athlete, isn't he? He he is, and it um, belies the fact when we signed him that there was a worry about his hamstring, that he was a bit injury prone, mm-hmm. and of course he was he was injured when he was signed. Um, and thankfully this season he's he's not been. He's he's largely escaped sort of injury, and everyone's sort of touching wood and keeping their fingers crossed it stays that way. But you're absolutely right. I think people, you know, we forget how much how important and pivotal he is defending set pieces. Yeah, you know, nine times out of ten it's Stewart who gets his head on the ball and clears it. Um, he's prepared to drop deep and work very, very hard around the halfway area and then make that sprint to try and provide Sunderland with an outlet. I, I, I mean, Danny Cowley said yesterday he is the best forward in League One and, I, and, and, and I, I, it's hard to dispute that. I think with his goals tally, his work rate, um, he's a player that's only going to get better. Um, he certainly, if Sunderland do go up into the Championship, he's certainly, I think, going to thrive in that environment as well um, and they, they clearly have got a player now that is obviously going to be on, on everyone's radars from other clubs higher up they will be looking at Stuart they'll be monitoring Stuart and the more his sort of um, his, his, the more he, he impresses and the more goals he gets it's clearly going to be difficult to uh, fight clubs off but I think you know they have got an asset there's no doubt and he is unquestionably going to be one of the you know candidates for player of the season definitely and i can i can imagine that when he does eventually get that inevitable call up for the scottish national team as well that will put him even more in the shop window and and if he can do it against you know other international defenses um that again will put hopefully uh, another zero on the end of his price well, because yeah. i mean he's been he's being monitored you know weekly by scotland yeah. so i mean they they're well aware of uh, of his uh, ability and um you know the talent he's got. Obviously, the the prospect of a, at some point Ross Stewart not being there takes us onto the discussion about kind of we're still in January. We're coming into the last kind of week of the transfer window. We're going to be counting down the minutes, I'm sure, um, to to the end of this window um, as we were the last. Another striker is probably on Sunderland's top of Sunderland shopping list. Would you say and um, do, do you think that we will be bringing in some cover in, in that position and possibly in, in the midfield as well in the next few days? Uh, well, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, striker and midfield. I think that's two areas they are looking at. Um, I mean, Jermaine Defoe clearly is on everybody's lips. And Lee Johnson, um, after the game, did say that they're working, they're looking at it. I, I think... We've got to be balanced here in, in that argument about whether Jermaine Defoe would be a good signing. I think you can see it. I can see it from both sides of the coin. And look, there's a huge emotional attachment to Jermaine Defoe. And it would be, yeah. you, you, it's, it's quite understandable that if someone like Jermaine Defoe came back into the club, it would give everybody a, a massive lift. But the other side of the coin is, I think, you know, as Lee Johnson said, I think this is more than a decision being made by him. I spoke to one of the ownership group yesterday. They are, I think, minded as well to look at his age, what he could bring to the the squad, and also this issue of if Sunderland sign a 39-year-old and they don't go up, is it a pragmatic thing to do when 
they could be putting that money into probably trying to sign a younger, more mm-hmm. athletic striker. There are lots of arguments for, for and against, and I think they're going to have to look at this very carefully. And I think the other side of the coin is we've got to bear in mind what Jermaine Defoe wants as well. Absolutely. Now, he's left Rangers quite plainly saying he wants to play football for the next six months. There's no guarantee of that at Sunderland by any stretch of the imagination in the way that Sunderland are now set up. I also think, you know, when you look at it, at the size of Jermaine Defoe, 39 years old, it's, you know, some of those defences that Sunderland are coming up against, bullying, hard, strong, big, it's not necessarily going to be the case that Jermaine Defoe is going to thrive in that sort of environment. So I think there are lots of issues that they will, as Lee Johnson said, there's a million and one things to look at. I feel sorry for him in, a, in some respects that he's been singled out as though he is the one making the decision because he's not. The, mm. the decision is being made by him, by Christian Speakman, by the ownership. This is not you know one person's decision. It's all in the round. And so, it, and I do also feel that Jermaine Defoe himself, if he's looking for playing time, he may be better off at Oxford or Charlton or somewhere closer to home for him in, in London. So there are a lot of things to consider. And, I, and I, I'd be very disappointed if Jermaine Defoe didn't sign, if it turns into a, a Johnson out campaign or this is the wrong decision, uh, we would have gone up if we'd signed Jermaine Defoe argument. Yeah. Because I don't think that is a... Uh, it, it, to me, it's not logical, it's not pragmatic, and it doesn't make a great deal of sense. Certainly, um, I think yeah, we need to do we we do need to look at this in a, in a balanced way, and I think there's been a kind of a a lot of hyperbole, a lot of people using using this as a as a potential stick to beat the manager with when it's as you say, the it's been made really clear right from when Christian Speakman came in that decisions around recruitment will be made by the recruitment team, the sporting director, and the head coach in concert. You know that not not one man buying the players that he wants and then you know a year down the down the line they have to rip up the the copybook and 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 start again so um certainly whether he fits in with the plan i think is a is a big is yeah, a big consideration I, it, look I, we all adore the passion look we yeah. all accept that that's that's yeah. not the issue i mean that is why you know that 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 sunderland you you, you expect that you expect that i mean i think it, it, you used the word hyperbole i think you're absolutely right i think it became hysterical over this without anybody really being rational and saying, hang on a minute, let's take a step back and look at this in the round and potentially what, you know, the benefits are, what the negatives are. And, you know, Sunderland aren't, there's not a problem here. They're second in the table at the minute, albeit a couple of clubs around them have got games in hand. But I think the results of the weekend prove that, you know, know, Wickham losing, Wigan struggling to an extent against Gillingham, Rotherham not exactly pulling up trees at the minute. There's a long way to go and there's not a lot wrong wrong with the squad. They've got, as you said earlier, players coming back. They've gone through a period of a few weeks with a, a diminished squad and didn't lose a game. They went to difficult places like Wickham and Accrington and albeit, yes, they probably should have won at both, but they didn't lose. They're, they're in a good position. Broadhead, I understand, is going to be back in March, a little bit ahead of the schedule that they earlier thought. Um, as you say, they're looking... We, we, we hope to see a striker and a midfielder come in. Um, I understand they're also possibly close to signing um, Koi Koi from... Is it Koi Koi? Anyway, the, the left-back from Northampton. Um, right. It could very much be in the frame now. 
So you know, the squad suddenly is 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 becoming, uh, you know, more rounded, if you like, again. Um, so I, I, I don't, there's not a lot wrong. So no. I, I think, you know, Jermaine Defoe over the transfer window has become a distraction, which has disguised the fact that quietly Sunderland are getting on with the job and actually doing it on the whole pretty well in the circumstances. No, I have to agree. So um, looking looking forward then, we don't have a game midweek. Uh, neither do um, Wigan or Rotherham. Um, next week, well, we're going we're gonna to have got a, a Papa John's, but I suspect. Oh, right, yeah. um, I mean, so I think it's against Arsenal under twenty ones. I mean, odds are they're going to field a very changed yeah. side. But I, I, I mean, bearing in mind when when Sunderland played them earlier in the season, they you know they didn't have a lot of strength and depth, Wigan, and, mm. I, and I do wonder. I know they'd be made kind of you know inroads in the transfer window if this schedule that they've got could actually become a bit of a struggle for them in the coming weeks with the number of games they've got to play. Certainly. I mean, next weekend, next Saturday, all three of the top three are away from home. Um, Sunderland, obviously, away um, at Bolton Wanderers, which I think is going to take nearly 6,000 fans yeah. there. And it's always it's the a... first time Bolton have sold out the away end, isn't it, this season? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a good away day as well. Uh, I enjoyed, um, well, I don't know if I enjoyed the game, but I enjoyed the experience a couple of years ago um, when I think we drew 1-1 in the last minute and didn't deserve it. Um, and then uh, I think Crewe uh, have got Rotherham, um, Cheltenham have got Wigan. So um, we're going to be tacking along with each other, aren't we, for for quite a long time while these while these fixture congestion games get played. And, mm. and it'll all come out in the wash, but... Um, we've seen it in the past. The games in hand are not points on the board, and certainly uh, Sunderland have got to be, um, you know, just keep it on playing our playing our own games, don't we? Well, I, you see, I'm a big believer in that now, especially in the experience of the first season that Sunderland mm-hmm. were in League One and they got to the the, the, the trophy final and the playoffs. Um, and we remember how leggy and tired they looked, you know, following the the trophy final and going into the last few games of the season. I mean, if Wigan progress in the trophy, they're in the FA Cup as well, unlikely probably to get very far, but they're still in it, which means that's another game they have to rearrange. Um, and we're creeping into February, you know, March, it's, it's, and, and the season ends at the end of April. They, that's a lot of games to, to fit in, uh, to keep players fit, to keep them sort of, uh, focused. So, I, 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 you know, I think Sunderland probably did make the right decision to, to play those games over the last few weeks when they could easily have called them off. They didn't have to recall Diamond or Hawks and, you know, they could have easily persevered and said, right, we'll, we'll have a break. We'll, we'll take a step back. But I think, you know, with the way the table is, with Sunderland second again, it's psychologically important as well, I think, to be, be in those top couple of positions. Um, you know, I think they'll be in the top three, uh, fingers crossed now, touch wood for the rest of the season. And, and and it's it's applying pressure. It's pressure on Wigan and Rotherham to win the games that they've got in hand. Definitely. I mean, they've got um, we've got a week off. I think after the end of the transfer window, we don't we don't we're not playing midweek. Where Oxford are away at Wigan, and um, and there's a there's a derby match between Doncaster and Rotherham, and who knows what will happen in in those games. And you know, it it will turn around. There'll be ups and downs, and I think we'll we'll just have to stick with them throughout that. I just want to thank you for your time. 
this afternoon, Nick, and say to our listeners that we've got plenty of post-match content um, on the website coming up. We've also got um, coverage of the women's team as well with the, the Lasses podcast live on um, Twitter Spaces Monday night at half past eight, and me and Ant and Katie will be uh, discussing the, the game away at Lewis. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a big week for Sunderland in the transfer market, hopefully on the men's and the women's side. But we'll, we'll wait and see. So thanks a lot for your time, Nick. No problem at all. Enjoyed it as ever. Thank you. Cheers. Tara. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 